This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode is brought to you by Our Pilates, an online platform with over 150 physio-led Pilates classes. Keep listening to learn how you can receive a free month of access to Our Pilates. Even in my early 20s, I was nervous about taking maternity leave. I've been ready for a baby for a very long time. I just remember sitting on the couch the next day thinking, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to live with this? I couldn't face going back to work in that moment. Also, ironically, didn't get any bereavement leave or anything from from that job, which I, it was just felt like such a slap in the face, to be honest. Just all the things you were looking forward to are things that you're now dreading. I had not, no nowhere for this milk to go. I remember just holding my breath when I would have to ask them their due dates. How do you return to work after loss when you support pregnancy, mothers and babies for a living? How do you put on a fake smile when the mother before you tells you her due date? Around the same time that you are meant to be holding your baby in your arms. This is the situation that lactation consultant, midwife, naturopath and educator Jolene Windus-Pay found herself in when she lost her baby girl 16 weeks into pregnancy. She experienced labour, her milk came in and she somehow got through what she didn't think she could. Here, Jolene intimately walks us through it all how she navigated and continues to navigate that loss, how she returned to work after a postpartum that came much earlier than anticipated, and how we can better support parents experiencing loss. Because as we know, it's all too common. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is Saba's mum, Jolene Windus-Pay. I started studying midwifery in my early 20s in New Zealand and that was a Bachelor of Midwifery and um, loved it, super passionate about it and worked in a few hospitals around New Zealand and came to the point in my career where I'd been, I think I'd been working as a midwife for about five years and I thought, I don't know if I can do this long term, I'm sensing burnout. And I was in my 20s, so like the time in your life, we have a lot of energy. Um, So that was a bit of a red flag. And I had had some work stress kind of manifesting as really chronic migraines. And I kind of found myself on this path of self-discovery, diving into self-care and getting to the root of why I was getting these really chronic migraines. And that led me down a path of becoming naturopath. And I studied that, I did it by correspondence, worked part-time as a midwife, um, studied it for three years. And when, as soon as I graduated, my husband and I came over to Melbourne. Um, And then the first year that we're in Melbourne, I sat my IBCLC exam to be a lactation consultant. So that's the International Board of Lactation Consultants. And so I've been practicing as a lactation consultant in hospitals and working as a midwife um, since 
since that point and also started my private practice as a holistic lactation consultant, really combining, I guess, the trifecta. And I've been doing that since early 2021. So how does work look for you nowadays? Do you still work in a hospital alongside all of this? And can you tell us a bit more about the workshops you do and your education around breastfeeding? Yes, definitely. I'm obsessed with spreading education around breastfeeding and evidence-based breastfeeding education as well. There's so much misinformation out there and I see it firsthand, not only in hospital, but also picking out the pieces of my um, clients privately. So I work three days a week privately. Um, that's seeing mums and babies either in person in their homes or online. I do quite a bit of virtual work and that's um, worldwide. I've got some clients with twins in New York at the moment, which is really exciting. How did they find you? That's so cool. Through a doula that I know who's based in New York. So yes, so good. very special. So I'm doing that. And then I also work two days a week as a lactation consultant for a private hospital in Melbourne. And then the other component of my private practice is running bi-monthly workshops. So it's the idea is it's really preparing the parents for their breastfeeding journey and arming them with, you know, good knowledge a nice amount of knowledge that they can start to take on board um, and then they've got a place to turn to when they perhaps need more help or just need to deep dive into that information a bit more. So I feel like preparing to breastfeed and preparing for the fourth trimester is becoming a bit more of a topic that people are becoming aware of and talking about more now. Have you noticed a bit of a change in a shift in focusing on preparing for breastfeeding? That's a good question. I totally agree that there's been a shift. And I think I would attribute that to that book, The First 40 Days and the Rise of the Postpartum Doula. And I, I'm very doula adjacent. I love doulas and really support the work that they do and recommend that every family invest in, into a doula service. I think that there's a a bit of emotion of starting to maybe become a bit more prepared for breastfeeding. Like there's, I can see little waves of um, talking about breastfeeding plans. So, you know, you'd make your birth plan. That's quite well established as something you would do. Yeah. We're still starting that conversation around making a breastfeeding plan. And I think, I think a big part of it is that when you're pregnant, you just can't get your head around the birth right and it's so hard to think about you obviously envision yourself with your baby but I think that birth takes a lot of mental space and emotional space so once that's sort of I guess out of the way then people have a bit more capacity to think about breastfeeding but the I guess the double-edged sword is that you're in it <laughs> while you're learning about it yeah yeah so you often probably I imagine would hear from people that are struggling rather than that prep to hopefully stop or mitigate some of those struggles. I probably would say that when I was pregnant, I feel different now that I've been through everything and, you know, I just find every type of service to do with that postpartum so amazing. But something that I probably would have questioned is how can I prepare for breastfeeding when I don't yet know how that looks or how that plays out? For someone that might be in a similar position that's considering signing up for education around breastfeeding, what would you tell them about how that works when you don't yet have a baby on your boob? Yeah, that is a really good question. And I think people sort of look at my workshop and think, what do I need to know beforehand? Um, and you're right, there's, with the baby, there's so many variables. Like 
the baby's temperament has so much to do with um, breastfeeding. But I guess you could at least focus on yourself. So focusing on, I really, my biggest thing is knowing what you're looking for when you actually begin to what we call latch or actually start the breastfeeding technique because so much can play out in that even that first breastfeed like I meet mums who have grazed nipples from that very first breastfeed and then that really sets you up for a difficult next few days and it is scary putting them on the boob the first time because it's so foreign you're like I don't I have no idea what I'm doing so even you saying that now I'm like oh yeah I can understand why that would be beneficial to at least have some idea of how it would work yeah definitely and I think like you will get support from the hospital staff but I think it's important to remember that they're very under-resourced they're very time poor very diverse so there's a lot of opinions and there's a lot of anecdotal information and that's not always translating into what's going to be helpful for you and your baby and I guess there's also this idea, I just listened to the Australian Birth um, Stories podcast with Julia Jones, their postpartum series, which I'm very excited about. Um, Julia Jones was talking about the distinction between intuition and instinct. So when your baby's born, you know, babies and mums, they have a lot of instinct, but there's not that intuition because that is a process that requires time to cultivate that deep knowing. And I guess when you're in the the throes of it all being super new, you're potentially really just exhausted from your birth experience, all of that. I think having some kind of turning point or knowing where to turn um, is really helpful in that sense. So that's just a small part that I would say. But the other things are like, yeah, understanding some universal things about babies, like what what majority of babies will want, like how much will they eat, want to eat each day, um, how much will they poo and wee, how to keep them warm and how to settle them, that kind of thing. Um, and then watch like how to take care of your nipples, your breast milk supply. And then I do quite a big deep dive on nutrition as well. So not only having a meal train, but what types of food and food to sustain your hormones and um, breast milk supply. Mm, it's so interesting hearing all of this and understanding the import- importance being on the other side now. It's like laying all that groundwork for if and when shit does hit the fan, mm-hmm. you have a bit of a tool belt of knowledge. You sort of know perhaps where to lean, where to look what to do in these different scenarios. Yeah. And I think like, I don't want to sound pessimistic, but you do need to plan for the worst, like plan, you know, if you don't need to, you know, mobilize every resource that you've created for yourself, that's okay. But I think you just, where there's no control when it comes to birth, what even your pregnancy is going to look like. um, And then, you know, postpartum experience as well. It's all, it's just so different for everybody. It is incredible how different literally everyone's experience is. And I've noticed that no one gets through the entire thing unscathed. And I don't mean mm-hmm. that in an alarmist way. Some challenges are easier than others, but I've never met someone that's had a very incredibly easy pregnancy, an easy conception period before that, an easy birth and an easy postpartum. There's always going to be some challenges. So I think that's a really good point. So you decided to recently look at starting your own family. Can you tell us about when that became front of mind for you and how you felt about it from that career point of view? Did it make you nervous about how you'd then one day juggle it with a baby? A hundred percent. I think even in my early twenties, I was nervous about taking maternity leave, you know, like 10 years before I was even 
doing that. You're speaking straight to my soul there. That's exactly what I was like. Yeah. And there's that book by Susan Cain called Quiet, and she talks about how a lot of, um, I guess, women in the workforce are like sort of maybe even subconsciously creating their career around that day um, coming of taking maternity leave. And she says, don't hold back. Don't like, you can actually hold yourself back, like go for it, do what you want to do. Don't try and create that version of your life prematurely. And I, I thought that was really interesting. And she said that you're in a better position to make better decisions you probably have more resources if you just kind of like go for that career path without that kind of holding you back in a sense but I guess I had a bit of a safety net in terms of midwifery that it's a very like flexible in a, in a sense there's also not a, not a lot of flexibility in it as well but um shift work you know it's, it's quite an easy job to be able to just drop down part-time or increase your hours like as you need to and it's not like a specific role replacement as, as much exactly. as every midwife is so talented. It's not like you're taking a year and you need a di- direct replacement. Exactly. There's no um, induction process or anything like that. So it, it is, yeah, it's got some convenience factors in that sense. But I think, you know, in all honesty, my husband and I, we when we moved to Melbourne, like I was, I've been ready for a baby for a very long time. Um, and I think I would feel a bit haunted by it, um, you know, just with my career every day, just being asked if I had kids and, you know, kind of sadly saying no and, and really want, wanting that day where I could say, yes, I do, you know. But I think we just settled, settled ourselves in Melbourne. That kind of slightly delayed things a little bit, moving to a new new country, a new city. But we just kind of stopped trying to not get pregnant and it just happened and I was so relieved about that because I am incredibly analytic and I have uh, a lot of health knowledge so I was always quite anxious about what that trying to conceive period would look like for us so yeah that was this uh, March last year and unfortunately that pregnancy did end in a loss which is hard for anyone but I think particularly hard for someone that works so closely with parents and babies. Can you reflect on that time for us, what you're comfortable Mm. sharing? Yeah, we got to 16 weeks in one day, so just over four months. And there was a little bit of complication towards those last three weeks of the pregnancy. And yeah, it was quite an uncertain time in a sense, but we also had a lot of reassurance from our medical providers. And then quite unexpectedly um, our baby was born in the middle of the night at home so when I realized what was happening I didn't want to go to the hospital I knew nothing could be done and I just had this primal sense take over me and I just wanted to be safe and feel intimate and protect and be private and that's what I let sort of dictate my decisions around that moment and yeah so it was a very very devastating time for us and just so you never expect that your pregnancy is going to end that way and I think yeah just being like postpartum way before you intend to like I was really consciously planning a home birth and consciously planning my postpartum and then just having that all dramatically fast forwarded and then having this just overwhelming heartbreak um, of loss to navigate and just I just remember sitting on the couch the next day thinking like, how am I going to get through this I 
how am I going to live with this? Like, but you just have to, and you, you do, but you, you don't, you can't comprehend it at the start. Yeah. And we named our baby girl Saba. We had a name that we sort of, we knew it would work for a boy or a girl. And we, we loved the name so much. We almost toyed with not naming our baby, which I, that sounds so like heartbreaking at the time. But I think when you've lost, you know, when you're just in this, that recent lost space, like you're just so in shock. And I just think you just can't make any decisions. Like you're just not yourself. And I think when I look back to that phase, I was, you know, probably really in shock for like two months. Um, just, yeah, little signs I look back, I just wasn't quite myself, understandably. Yeah, I mean, you're not just going through a loss, you're going through a postpartum just like everyone else that is pregnant and delivers a baby at term or whatever. Like that's such a huge hormonal shift. How did you actually get through those early days and what did taking a break from work look like and returning to work after that loss? Mm, so that was when I had two jobs and private practice I had a bunch of clients that I had to cancel and refund and that was a bit sad I got a friend to manage my emails for me because it was just all so triggering and then with the job that I was working as a midwife I actually decided I was going to resign I just I couldn't face going back to work in that moment but it was mostly because it I needed colleagues who were going to be really gentle and patient with me and it just wasn't that kind of work environment and I just also ironically didn't get any bereavement leave or anything from from that job which I it was just felt like such a slap in the face to be honest like I'd been there for five years at a maternity hospital yeah exactly so it was just yeah yeah, it left a pretty bad taste with me. So I was like, I just, that's not where I want to put my energy anymore. And I guess when you have these big life moments, it just like gives you a wave of clarity. And so it was a really easy decision for me to make. And then my other job working as a lactation consultant, my boss and colleagues just came through. Like I just never expected, like I had midwifery colleagues who were more helpful than my private midwives. And those were people that really leaned on, like I really leaned on. And um, I just started to make a plan with my boss about what returning to work would look like. I took a month off, but wasn't in a position where I could take longer than that. And being giving birth before 20 weeks, you don't get any leave. So I had a little bit of compassionate leave and scraped together some sick leave. But yeah, it was it was a bit stressful, unfortunately, that you have to deal with a little bit of financial stress like in that time. It's really detracting from just caring for yourself and getting through the grief. Yeah. And then my boss, um, the job that I decided to keep, she just eased me back in and we decided that I would work three days a week and I picked up private practice two months after that. Wow. And for someone that's very unaware of I guess the mechanics of a miscarriage, which is very different person to person. Mm. When you're taking that month off, were you were you physically in pain, or is it, was it more the emotional stuff, or is it the whole like what's obviously there's a huge grief, but what else is happening in those early days? Yeah, so so from my experience, because I was four months pregnant, 
my birth was intense. Like I, I felt like I was pushed to my physical and emotional limit in that moment. And it like made me think, oh my gosh, I have to give birth to a term baby. How am I going to do this? And like, I think postpartum wise, I think my body felt okay. Like I felt like the, it's the emotion, like it's the, the sort of sense that there's a real emptiness and the kind of all the things you were looking forward to are things that you're now dreading, like the anniversary of the due date, or even I just had to shut out the fact that, oh yeah, I would have been 17 weeks pregnant or 18 weeks pregnant, you know, and that goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks. So yeah, it's, I think for me, it was the, just, I needed the space emotionally, but I actually also got COVID right when like we tested positive for it, right? Like basically a day after I felt like, I initially got shivers at night and I thought, oh, I'm just like, it's all my hormones. And then I had a friend come to see me. Well, she was going to come and see me and she has a baby. And I thought, I'll just test just in case. And it, yeah, it went positive like straight away. So I guess for that first few days, I it made me actually just rest, like maybe a bit more than what I would have. Cause I was like, okay, I'm postpartum and I've got COVID. I need to just be lying down and doing nothing. And I think, you know, I'm quite active usually. So that rest is a, is a bit of a challenge for me. And I know that it's important, but I guess I had that little bit of a temptation thing as I wasn't maybe like full, full term, um, that my body sort of didn't feel too affected by the changes of pregnancy. But I guess that initial um, few days, it was, yeah, a really emotional time, just quite like delirious, like with the COVID as well. But um, the thing that also stands out is that my breast milk came in and it came in and thick and fast and I had, yeah. It actually makes me feel so emotional because like that's such an emotional thing anyway. It is. It's It was very emotional. I think like I was just... I wasn't even expecting it and I'm a midwife and a lactation consultant like that's just how out of it I was and my I had a colleague say to me you know like have you taken anything for your breast milk and I was like oh my god no and basically yeah it came in really um it was intense and I had engorgement and I had not, no nowhere for this milk to go and I think it was it was quite heartbreaking thinking of all those times that I imagined what breastfeeding my baby girl would have looked like Mm, especially in the work that you do definitely so you know I do do know what it feels like to be engorged and for that to happen so yeah that was that was tough and I just called a colleague who was a lactation consultant and I was so grateful that I could just ring someone in in the evening and she gave me advice and I just, um, I didn't do any expressing. I just waited for my body to kind of, I guess, get the message that the milk wasn't going to be going anywhere. And I took some pain relief, which really helped me just relax and calm down a little bit. And yeah, I just waited for everything to soften up. Oh, that's such a huge thing to go through. So then you're returning to work and you're surrounded by babies, new parents a lot of the time. How did you get yourself motivated to return to that sort of environment and how did you get through those early days getting back to work yeah I think the the postpartum mums like the breastfeeding clients it sort of was a little bit less removed than working with someone who was pregnant like I really struggled with being around pregnant mums because that just felt so close to home 
at, at the time I was working at an outpatient clinic where we would have mums, pregnant mums come in for some monitoring. And I really tried to just stay away from that aspect as much as possible. Um, and just, I remember just holding my breath when I would have to ask them their due dates and just, you know, just the thought of someone being due around the same time as me, or, you know, just made me feel really anxious. And then I felt that dissipate as time moved past the due date. But I think I like weirdly didn't, which is a career, a question I've had basically my whole career, basically every day is, do you have kids? And I didn't get that question for exactly two months after she was born. And it was literally on her, this like the second month of her sort of anniversary, I guess, of being born that someone asked me if I had kids. And I was so anxious about what I was going to say because I didn't, I didn't want to say no and I couldn't say yes, but I also like someone said, Oh, I just say I have an angel baby. And I was like, I don't know if I entirely resonate with that. And so what I sort of arrived at was that I say I've had a loss and it just, I guess, leaves the other person to either just say, Oh, I'm sorry. Or they ask about it. And I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. I actually want to talk about her. I miss her. My husband and I miss her and talk about her all the time. So we do welcome being asked about her but yeah that was that was tricky and I think it's just getting over all those births like the first time you walk back into work after something really big has happened and you're like oh the last time I was here I was pregnant and all of that just goes through your mind definitive like before and after moments. exactly yeah so what in terms of how your village got around you what would your advice be to partners or friends or family of someone going through a loss yeah I the partner is also going through the loss like in a huge huge way and I think something my husband and I reflect on a bit is that I think naturally I got more attention than he did and I yes I guess like the loss for me was very very physical as well um, and it had a lot of tangible aspects, but I think in a way it was cathartic as well. Like I'm so grateful that I got to birth my baby at home um, rather than some of the other ways things could happen. So that's just my preference and important for me. But I think, yeah, my husband kind of um, at times maybe just felt like he wasn't checked in on as much or just maybe that people around him weren't as emotionally available for him. It's a good reminder because I, the way I framed that question was actually only thinking about you. So that goes yeah. to show, you know, that we do only think about the birthing person, which is fair we in some do. respects. But as you say, it's, he was he was going to be a dad and that's his loss as well. Mm. I, I, actually, it rings true for pregnancy and postpartum and um, breastfeeding as well. Like I really try to be inclusive and mindful of the partners, but I, I actually just had a dad comment to me in hospital that he's like, I just feel like I'm just in the way and I'm just left out all the time. And yeah, it's it's hard when they want to be really involved. And But yeah, I think it's how we kind of approach it from the whole spectrum. If, like me, you're looking for safe, intelligent workouts that you can practice from home during naps and between meetings, our Pilates is offering all Ready or Not listeners a free month of access for their entire online Pilates platform, including their new pre and postnatal Pilates programs. I am loving their prenatal program, which was created by mothers Brooke and Han. Not only will you have access to their full library, 
You'll also be able to watch educational videos from a range of health professionals, including a dietitian, women's health physio, naturopath, lactation consultant, hypnobirthing consultant, and sexologist. To redeem your complimentary month of our Pilates, simply head to their website and enter the code READY OR NOT when you create an account and select their monthly membership option. Yeah, but we had we'd had a friend who'd had a baby a couple of months prior, so all of our group had been quite well practiced at the meal train, and that was a lifesaver. Like we were just a copic, right? We couldn't think about like the thought of going to buy groceries was way too triggering. Like that whole I was the last time I was there, I was pregnant, or just mm, seeing, just seeing a little too baby. many people. Yeah, even when I'd see a mother and a baby when I was trying to conceive and it wasn't happening, like I found Mm -hmm. that triggering and that wasn't even a loss. That was just trying to conceive. Yeah, I can so relate to that. Like I remember once I we have a coffee shop next door and I was like, okay, I'll go get a coffee. And I was just so unprepared. Like there was this mum that walked in with a stroller and I was waiting for my coffee so I couldn't leave, just getting a takeaway. And then I just was crying and I just, you know, I was like, oh, should I just go or should I just stay? And I was like, no, I'll just, you know, I'll just wait it out. And then I just went and had a big cry at home. But mm. it's hard as well when you think something's so beautiful, but it's also like you sort of feel like hatred as well at the same time. Like it's like so beautiful seeing a new mother, but then you're also like holding on to this resentment that you don't want to be holding on to. Yeah. I think for me, it was just such a sadness. Like I think. Yeah. Yeah, so sad. I guess, like, yeah, maybe there was aspects of envy and jealousy in there as well. And, yeah, it's just weird being out in public when you're going through this, like, crazy emotional torment and, like, everyone else is fine and, it, yeah, it's so isolating. It's We've been just, like, big in my wider family and I remember one of the first days just sort of walking down the street and being like, Life is just going on for everyone. Yeah. How does this happen? Like our whole world has been shaken and the world is just moving around as usual. Yeah, so true. I guess if I think about other things that people did for us that really stood out, like we, I had a couple of like really lovely gift baskets and things and that just helped to lift my spirits a little bit. And I think candles made a really beautiful gift. Like we we just had a candle burning like all the time when we were at home. I just couldn't even blow it out really. And some people bought flowers for us, which I, I definitely appreciated the gesture. And because we were spending a lot of time at home, it was nice to just look at them. Like usually when you have flowers, maybe you're not around them as much. And it was nice to have something beautiful to focus on. There was a lot that was helpful. I think just, just people checking in and like letting you know that they're thinking about you and, asking you how you are today or like in this moment rather than being like how are you because that would just like be such a big question and hard to answer and I feel like I'm a very literal person so I would want to like really give someone like my full experience you know so it was nice to have things like broken down a little bit. Another guest uh, that I interviewed recently Maggie May who owns Think Thornbury also said she was sharing her lost quite openly on Instagram and she Mm. got to a point where she started to feel like she was being too negative even though what she was feeling was obviously very negative it was a huge Mm -hmm. thing did you have any sense of that when people were checking in with you of being like well I feel like crap but I can't just keep saying I feel like crap I think socially there was a pressure to kind of 
come back be about out and about. Yeah. And I think I, I probably came across really antisocial and I think my husband and I just really needed time on our own. Like it was just, we just needed time. And I think we still wanted to feel invited to things, but like, yeah, it wasn't until probably later in December that we actually had like, it was our first sort of, it was like a little Christmas party at a friend's house. And I actually, we had a kind of talk about it, like for all of us girlfriends together. And then my husband was with the guys and I think they were just sharing their experiences. And I actually asked my friends, how was it for you guys? You know, like I know how it was for me, but I, you know, like I know what it's like when I hear bad news about someone else, I just feel sick to my stomach. I can't stop thinking about them. And so it was nice to be able to have that sharing of experiences and, um, as huge as it was for me, it was also really big for my friends as well. And so now you're navigating trying to conceive while still working very closely in the birth and baby space. Mm-hmm. How do you stay motivated? I know for me, it took us a little bit under a year to fall pregnant. I know towards the end, even though it was at the end of the day, quite a common experience, but at the time it didn't feel that obviously. You just think of your friends that get pregnant first go and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I guess it started to wear on my emotions probably about six months into it. How are you feeling about staying motivated at work and just with going on with life while also trying to conceive this thing that you want so much? Mm. I think like last year we gave ourselves to the end of the year to not try again. And I think I... I know there's, there can be that knee-jerk reaction of just trying immediately and that definitely went through my head. But I think, you know, my my sort of checkpoint was if we were to have another loss, like I want to be in a place where I can feel like I can face that. And unfortunately, when you do experience a loss, you really see just how often this happens and actually how often it happens to people multiple times and that that puts the fear of God into you and I think trying again it becomes so much more complex you know you're protecting your heart aren't you because you're like how much can I can I bear (laughs) exactly and it's something you want so much but yeah knowing you you know like the deepest darkest reality of it not going your way um, so yeah, I think we just gave ourselves basically six months to just heal and focus. And I think I felt a huge sense of relief. Like I knew we were going to try again. I knew we both wanted to do it and it was just our time. I kind of, um, grieved a little bit at the end of the year because it was like Christmas, but also, um, you know, 2022 was a huge year for us. And then we we're moving into a different year. It was like this attachment I guess from the experience it was like ending the year in a different way than you expected that it would end I guess definitely yeah definitely and just all like just slowly losing all those things that you associate with your baby you know so yeah I guess we're quite fresh into our trying to conceive journey um like I'm feeling pretty just curious about it at the moment but you know, look, check in with me in six months' time and might, I might be sweating a bit more. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully um, you're holding a very straightforward pregnancy by the end. I'm going to put yes. that out into the world. Yeah, that's what we have hope you, for. Yeah. Have you done anything? I think giving yourself that break is such a powerful thing to do, but tricky as well because you want a baby so much that 
it must you must sometimes jostle with oh do we start trying again don't we is there anything you've done from a self-care or adventure point of view that you've tried to do have been like look we wish we had our baby but we don't let's do these things like is there anything that you've done in particular that's really helped to lift your spirits or bring a sense of adventure into your life definitely like on a I guess with her due date coming up, it was something we were guess dreading in a way. Um, but we were told about this foundation called Forever Held, based in Warrnambool in Victoria, and they gift parents up to seven nights stay at this beautiful private little. It's like a little cottage cabin. Oh wow! Um, and so as soon as I heard about it, I messaged them and got in touch and saw that the dates that we wanted were available and I applied and they gifted it to us. I think we stayed for four nights and amazing. it was amazing. Like just, I think we booked it maybe six weeks prior. So it was just having something to look forward to was such a gift. And then the actual experience was just like so peaceful and like a reset and we just had a beautiful time together and made beautiful memories. Um, and it was just really special to honor her. And at the same time I did, I decided to do this. Everyone probably thought I was crazy, but I did this huge giveaway on Instagram, giving my services away. So I gave like five home consultations, five virtual ones and 20 e-guides away and that was creating a lot of noise on Instagram. And um, that gave me a lot of joy. Like it felt good to be generous. And in my mind, I was doing it to honor my baby and help other other mums and babies. So that was like a nice way to offset a lot of sort of potentially negative emotions that I knew would be coming up for us. Um, and then on a day-to-day way of self-care, like having a bit of time off work was really important. It just gave me more space to like I started doing um Pilates mat Pilates just in home Pilates there's no way I was going to my class but um I just did that twice a day like just short sessions but um my therapist was saying to me that gentle exercise is really really good thing you know all the um feelings that you're having and I found uh, like I found a lot of peace in that and just yeah a bit of self-care like just you know, therapeutic self-care and I, a huge thing that shifted my mindset was stumbling across the book called Manifest by Roxina Fusi. Um, I just heard about her on a podcast, but she basically went from being this self-loathing cocaine addict into this like um, self-development influencer. And she's got, I think she's about to write her third book, and she just breaks down the steps for manifesting in the most simplest way. But it's a lot of like positive affirmations and just self-love essentially. And I found that audiobook at I think just the most perfect time for me. And it really helped to catapult me into a better place. Mm, must yeah. have taken a lot of work. Before we move on, it seems bizarre to me that I'm going to soon take you to follow her questions when we're discussing something so personal and deep but before we do move on to the follower questions what are your biggest do's and don'ts for how to look after someone in your life going through a loss obviously I'm hearing from the do's that it's about checking in and just showing that they're loved Mm -hmm. and caring for them in any way you can Mm -hmm. what are some of the the unhelpful things that people might perceive as helpful 
Um, anything that starts with at least, like anything oh. that's like minimizing your experience. Like I think just if you can hold space for the person and just let their emotions be what they are, like don't try and paraphrase or we're quick to try of, and fix things in our society, aren't we? Yeah. Instead of just as you say, holding space. Yeah. And just accept that it's so big it can't be fixed at this point. Um, because that feels more painful, I think, when I know you can tell it comes from a good place, but it just kind of puts this block between you and this person because you feel like you can't connect with them. And you feel like you can't maybe grieve around them the way that is coming naturally for you, however you're feeling in that moment. Yeah, definitely. Like you have to feel safe to be able to grieve. I think, yeah, it's just keeping the questions small. And I think it's nice. I, I really like when people ask me about her and say her name because, you know, it's like she's such a huge part of our lives so just the thought that no one else would really talk about her is really sad and you know like we missed out on moments like getting to show pictures of our baby to other people and you know all of those kind of things so I think it's nice when we can um, talk about her in the ways um, that meant a lot to us. Mm. People seem to as well be quite scared to ask the questions but I feel like it's never at the worst you could just say I don't feel like talking about it you know I think we're always really scared to approach tricky topics with the people we love that are going through things but personally I would rather be asked and have the option to say yes. look I don't really want to talk about it rather than avoiding it altogether because then you can quickly feel alone. Yeah I th there is that real fear of like making someone feel worse and it's it's hard it's you know I'm no expert you know like I still struggle with talking to other mums who have lost babies like I still feel like I don't even have the right words you know and I think maybe the bottom line is that there are no words um yeah I yeah I think I think just prefacing it that you're not sure what you're like if you're saying the right thing that you care and yeah like you you want to listen you want to know about the experience um, thank you so much for sharing what has been a really painful experience for you I think you'll help a lot of others by sharing that because unfortunately it's quite a common experience which is not to minimize it at all but to help people feel a little bit less alone is uh, a huge thing for you to do with your own experience so thank you and as I said it feels very bizarre now just moving on to listener questions as though we haven't just discussed one of the biggest things ever but we did have three questions submitted from our listeners on Instagram the first one was you have a busy career and you've hardly taken any time off between the last day of work and the due date how would you best prepare for breastfeeding if you don't have much time I just wanted to say about these questions that actually just I'm quite used to it like it's part of my role of like flipping out like flipping into my professional role but still like having emotions <laughs> about my own life so don't worry I'm quite used to it <laughs> um I think it's a good question I meet lots of um parents who perhaps are scheduled an elective cesarean or maybe don't have that luxury of taking a bit of um maternity leave prior to baby being born um a really, you know, short, sharp way to do some prep is a podcast. So I have a really good pregnancy series with um, pregnancy with physio Laura. Laura, sorry, it's a breastfeeding series. Awesome. So I talk about how to prepare. Um, and then I would, if you're really time poor, just ask your friends and family for recommendations of a lactation consultant and book in a session so that you can get a bit of a one-to-one -one crash course um when your baby's there and it's it'll just be tailored information um yeah. so that can be quite effective that was actually great advice one of my friends said 
my son ended up coming a month early, so I didn't actually do this. And I was quite lucky that breastfeeding uh, just worked for us. So it was very lucky. But her great advice was just book a lactation consultant for about three weeks post your due date. And worst case scenario, you just get a little bit of support, but it's all going well. Best case, you've got someone there to support you for if things aren't going well. So I think that's an Mm -hmm. awesome answer. And I will link that episode in the show notes. I think I've listened to a bit of Physio Laura's work with, I think she's done some education work with Sophie Walker. I could be wrong, but I think so. Um, So for the second question, it's how can I get my period back without stopping breastfeeding? I want to try for another baby. Yeah, this is a really good question too. I guess with my naturopathic hat on and what I would do for my client is really um, review your hormonal history. Um, So were your periods regular to begin with and then really explore postpartum depletion. So um, we're wanting to really nourish the body and the hormones, reviewing your um, nutritional intake, like are your blood sugars balanced or are you, you know, skipping meals, having coffee on empty stomach, not having enough protein, for instance, um, and getting you on a good quality multivitamin, prioritizing rest and avoiding too much cardio. Um, those can be things just pumping too much stress hormones into the body. And then I guess from like a lactation perspective, it's the general advice is to start spacing feeds and particularly overnight if that's a possibility for you. This is a question without notice, but on this topic, one of my friends who recently fell pregnant just shy of her son's first birthday was starting to feel dizzy because I don't think she'd realised she was pregnant at this point, Mm. but she was breastfeeding and growing life. How is that like taking too much from your body or how does that work? It is very demanding. It's called tandem feeding when you're breastfeeding and you're pregnant, um, which, that's what which that is, is confusing because twins also do tandem feeding. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, like um, pregnancy is incredibly demanding and then breastfeeding is a little bit different. Like it still takes a lot of energy to actually produce the breast milk, but it's different to pregnancy in the fact that your body's not going to give everything good to the breast milk. Like I think the breast milk can be um, not compromised, but you know, the ba- the baby's going to get all the goodness, right? The, the growing baby. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So I think, you know, if you're wanting to continue breastfeeding um, while you're pregnant, it's it's really, I know it's hard in that first trimester with the nausea, but making sure you're in a really good nutritional um, place and also resting, just resting yeah. as much as possible. So it can be done, but you really have to prioritize your health essentially. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. That's really interesting. And so for the third and final question here. If you could give one piece of advice for parents wanting to breastfeed, and I love that this person has said parents, because this is a big emphasis on your teachings, what would it be? So for the parent who's going to be doing the breastfeeding, I would, um, if that's my most important top tip, I would encourage you to learn how to latch your baby, or there's also the term fit and hold by Pamela Douglas. And um, knowing what you're looking for, like the points of contact of your baby's face and how to position your body and their body um, is going to be a game changer. You're going to have a great place to start from and really increase your chances of reducing your nipple damage. Um, so Robin Thompson has a course. Um, Dr. Pamela Douglas um, created Gestalt Breastfeeding, um, a program online, and then I cover, I sort of fuse the two in my online workshop and e-guides. 
just for the non-breastfeeding parents. So um, I think just keeping an open dialogue about discussing ways that you can support your partner. Um, and, you know, that's as practical as making sure that their glass of water or their hot drinks always full, or their phones always charged while they're breastfeeding. You're literally dealing with someone that can't move um, underneath the baby. Um, and also being... Um, thinking about ways to get your your self-care in efficiently so that you don't build up that resentment or that you're able to just, you know, fill your tank a bit so you can keep um, caring and um, supporting your um, partner and, and your baby. That's great advice. Yeah, so my thoughts are um, silverets are good in the sense that they're antibacterial. I like that they're quite sustainable and they can prevent the nipple from being knocked around with a bit of friction. And I think they're suitable for some light nipple damage. And I think um, if you're someone who's leaking quite a bit of breast milk and you're wearing a silverette or you're very engorged, then I probably wouldn't recommend them. We, we don't want the nipple to get too moist. That's where I see a lot of like a lot more skin breakdown. Um, then, oh, wow. then necessary. That's interesting. I would have thought the other way around. Well, if you think about your, like when you have a bath, right, and your skin becomes like almost quite transparent and, yeah. and softer, that's what happens if your nipple's sitting in too much moisture. So, yeah, of course, that makes sense now you say it. Yeah, sometimes they can be too much of a good thing. I think letting your nipples air out a little bit is really important as well. Mm. And Jolene, before we let you go, can you let us know where people can find your work, your resources and your courses? Yes. So um, my website is jwp.care, really easy. And you can find me on Instagram, jwp.ibclc. So that's the acronym for Internationally Board Certified Lactation Consultant. And my next workshop is on May the 3rd. Um, it's an hour and a half with some Q&A time and you get two months of um, replay access. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. And I think you'll help a lot of people feel seen and heard. I know it can't be easy. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me and for allowing me to share my experience with my beautiful daughter, Saba. And I do really hope that this helps other parents, unfortunately, experiencing the same loss as we did. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.